Truth Espresso, Episode 76. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, hey there, Truth Espresso fans and those just listening in for the first or second or whatever time. This is Daniel Minnick, your host for Truth Espresso. I hope you are having a marvelous day as you tune into this episode. In this episode, we are concluding our series, our long drawn out series on economic topics, but we're also closing the series with this episode by closing a story. Yes, a made up story by yours truly called The Tale of the Superblians. And in this tale, my very first sci fi ish story, we are learning some economic lessons as we see a story about aliens from another planet, the planet of Superblia, invade Earth, so to speak. Invade is kind of a strong term because these aliens are actually very friendly and all they want is what's best for Earth. They had no intentions of controlling anything. They just wanted to integrate into the economy freely and exchange. And for good measure, the aliens also were Christians. <laughs> you know, I know you can probably criticize me at how unrealistic that is. But hey, as I said before, it's my story and I'm going to write it the way I want. So there. <laughs> But there is a good point to that because the intention of this story is to teach economics from a biblical free market perspective through a fictional narrative. And, of course, I took the liberty of introducing some of the people that I follow into the story. Now, as I said on the show notes for the last episode where I first introduced them, the names have been changed to protect the innocent and the really guilty alike. <laughs> and so I have parodied Dr. Paul Krugman, the Keynesian economist, as Dr. Drugman. <laughs> I have also introduced introduced economists that I follow that are with whom I largely agree into the mix to um, oppose Dr. Drugman's ideas. This, these were economist Dr. Robert P. Murphy, whom I called Dr. Robert P. Nerfy with an N, kind of like the Nerf guns, you know, so just Nerf, but add a Y, it's Nerfy. <laughs> so Dr. Bob uh, Murphy out there, if you happen to listen to this episode, I hope that my play on your last name, your uh, wonderful Irish last name, um, isn't offensive because I know Dr. Bob Murphy's really um, good at taking jokes and making jokes. And since we're all in this together and 
and uh, making jokes at Dr. Krugman's expense. I hope you will forgive my playing with your last name there. And then also Dr. Thomas E. Woods, who's a New York Times bestseller, who's also a common speaker at the Ludwig von Mises Institute in Auburn, Alabama. Actually, Dr. Robert Murphy and Dr. Tom Woods are both friends. They actually co-hosted a podcast for several years up until recently called Contra Krugman. And so you might hear this making a little bit of an appearance in the Tale of the Superbians episode 3. And so Dr. Tom Woods called Dr. Tom Words in the Tale of the Superbians did deliver a speech and our protagonist Jake, the simple ranch hand, having to come to grips with the battling of ideas in economics land discovered Dr. Bob Nerfy through a video and then decided to drive downtown to see what might be going on there as he'd been hearing things especially from his friend Pete, who followed Dr. Drugman, that things were starting to pick up and that there was some suspicion building about the merits of the prosperity that the superblian alien race was giving to Earth, that things might not have been as prosperous as they seemed, at least in the mind of Dr. Drugman and his piece for the New Dork Times. And so as Jake was going to drive downtown, his beefed up new truck uh, with its own supercomputer in it uh, told him about a speech that Dr. Tom Words was actually giving visiting the town of the original sighting of the UFO where the Superbians landing. And Dr. Tom Words was saying things that really opened Jake's eyes to the truth of free market economics. And Jake was trying to make his way to that speech as he was listening to it in his truck. And as he arrived at the convention center, the speech had just ended. And so the story, the tale of the Superblians part three will pick up at that moment. And then we'll trace things that happen with Jake at the convention center and see what happens to the relationships between a lot of human beings and the Superblians goes down through there, especially as politics start to pick up. And so, without further ado at this point, I would like to begin concluding the tale of the Superblians with part three. Would you like a little grooming before you leave? Asked the system in Jake's new set of wheels. Jake had just reached for the door to exit his truck. Oh, goodness, yes, please, replied the fumbling ranch hand. As robotic fixtures combed Jake's hair and straightened the wrinkles in his jersey, Jake pondered what would happen 15 minutes from now. What would the next day hold? How would things differ a year from now? The hoopla of the big thinkers made life mean more to Jake than a simple day's work. Good luck, the virtual companion saluted as Jake beamed from his vehicle and galloped to the convention center entrance. The scent of polished oak and fresh construction greeted Jake as he faced what seemed like an indoor palace courtyard. Although with plenty of space to spare, 
The center lobby brimmed with bustling uptown folk, giggling, conducting business, and scanning rooms for conference sessions. Need help finding anything? asked the college-aged woman seated six feet away at an oval-shaped desk and donning a badge with the word information on it. Jake stuttered, uh, yes, uh, and blurted with a chuckle, my truck told me a uh, Dr. Thomas E. Words was speaking here. Okay, chuckled the girl respectfully. The screen below has the schedule of events, but let me check that for you. The ranch hand gulped, fearing he may have lost his opportunity. Ah, yes, here it is. It looks like Dr. Words finished about five minutes ago. I'm sorry, it looks like you're a little late for that. But his itinerary says that he would stay for a meet and greet for an hour before he has to head to the airport. Jake stammered. Yes, yes, uh, that's fine, that's fine. The information desk worker giggled, admiring Jake's folksy demeanor. He's in room 114. Go down the hallway to the right and hook left. You will find 114 on the left side. Thanks a mite, uttered Jake as he darted away, nearly tripping over his own feet. Outside room 14, several attendees chattered, some delighting in refreshments, with others thumbing through book purchases. Jake peered through the doorway, witnessing a grid of round seating tables. Adjacent to either side, long tables garnished with tasty treats greeted all the visitors. Despite the elegance, a line of attendees drew Jake's attention. There stood the eloquent man of the hour who entertained Jake through his truck. Jake wasted no time dashing for the back of the line. His excitement paired with an equal sense of feeling out of place. Yet the sheer variety of styles granted him a bit of relief. While dressing appropriate for the surroundings, some wore fancy suits and dresses, while others intentionally mirrored the urban streets. What caught Jake's glance the most was the number of superblians there. A husband and wife alien couple were laughing with Dr. Woods, while about a dozen others mingled with humans. As Jake waited shyly behind a male human peer in business casual, a superblian stepped behind him in line. Greetings, sir, spoke the towering blue youth. He stretched down his hand for the friendly gesture. Uh, hi, Jake squeaked, granting his hand. Wasn't that awesome, gloated the intergalactic attendee. Yeah, replied and eased Jake. I just got here, but I heard it in my truck. At least you didn't really miss it, chuckled the alien as he patted Jake's shoulder. I hope Tom Words can visit Superblia someday. My friends back there would love him. Jake's rural introversion lessened as he felt as if he were among family now. By the way, my name is Caro. K-E-R-O. What's yours? Jake. Well, Jake, other than church, I can't think of a better place to be right now, squawked Jake's new friend. I think you're right, chuckled Jake. 
Jake and his new superblian friend talked about the speech they both heard and what the future may hold for human and superblian alike. The line seemed to vanish as Jake and Caro learned about each other's experiences. Well, hey there, are you two related? thundered a familiar voice in Jake's direction. Dr. Tom Words chuckled, awaiting a comeback. Jake and Caro cranked their necks toward the speaker, startled that they were already next. Uh, well, gasped Jake, I never knew fifteen minutes was all it took to add a new member to my family. Caro chortled as he delivered a complimentary smack at Jake's back. The feeling's mutual, pal. Oh, that's good, roared Tom. That's why we're here. I mean, when I speak, I intend to make family and friends. When Drugman speaks, he wants everyone to pick a side on the front lines. The three laughed a bit before Tom broke the ice further. You obviously know my name, but tell me yours. You know, so if I crack a joke at your expense, it can actually be at your expense. Smirking, Jake replied, I'm Jake. And, and my friend's name is Caro, K-E-R-O. You got it, quipped Caro. So, what have you guys got for me? Asked Tom as he planted a hand on Jake's shoulder and stretched the other one up to Caro's. Yeah, this is all kind of new to me, muttered Jake, shuffling his feet. I've never learned about all this stuff until today but it seems like we can't ignore it because of Drugman. I talked to a friend this afternoon who's fallen for that stuff. Oh my goodness, yes, yes indeed, Tom crowed. It's like the boring lizard people know how to get their followers through mind control. If the truth makes too much sense, it doesn't work for the lizard people. People are easier to control by things they don't understand. Yeah, affirmed the young alien. We don't have Drugman's way of thinking on Superblia. I think I understand it, but I don't see how a planet that starts with Keynesian thinking could produce holographic technology or cure cancer. If your theory can't start an economy, why would we need it to keep it going? Tom pointed up at the tall youth and blurted, Exactly! He then collected himself into lecture mode. You know, Drugman himself has said during a recession that we need to stop arguing about how it happened and focus on what the solution should be. Well, don't we need to know the cause of an illness first before we diagnose the treatment? It would be like a doctor prescribing penicillin for every medical condition because to Drugman, when all you have is a hammer, then everything is a nail. That's it right there, hollered Jake as he spread his hands. That helps me understand the article this morning. It's like Drugman doesn't care about what's really going on. If people are saving money, he thinks it's because they're spending less. Well, I know I'm better off than I was a year ago. My mortgage is paid off. I got a new truck, and I got this cool phone that does things I haven't even tried yet. Now, if I were spending less because I borrowed too much so I can pay back my debts, that's different from me having more wealth and being able to save some money. 
Why would it be good to get into more debt if the reason somebody's cutting their spending is because they already spent too much? Isn't that the problem? Yeah, but you see, remarked Tom, with drug men, it's all about aggregates. Aggregate demand, aggregate this, aggregate that. And your individual situation doesn't matter for the whole. In fact, if everyone were individually in that situation, it still wouldn't matter. Drugman thinks we have to separate the whole economy from any and all individual humans and superblians who make up the whole. If you personally need to cut your spending and pay your debts, that might be good for you. But if enough people start to help themselves, Drugman thinks it will cause depressions that only government can solve. That's why he's always proposing that the government and banks spend money on our behalf and get deeper into debt on our behalf. Drugman thinks a constantly growing national debt is a good thing, you see, because it counterbalances what we do when we are responsible. Just then, Tom's phone received a notification. After pausing to check it out, Tom interjected, Uh-oh! Speak of the devil, and here he is. It looks like we're all going to hear from old Drugman himself. There's a live newscast interviewing him and one of your folk. Tom glanced at Caro and then announced, Attention, everyone. If I could entertain you for a few minutes, you may have an alert on your phone, as I have, that the object of tonight's little talk, the esteemed Dr. Paul Drugman himself, is being interviewed as we speak. If you would like to put your thinking caps on with me, I'll just project that up for us now. Dr. Words held up his phone and pressed the button to project holographic screens around the room. The live video feed featured a popular anchor by the name of Megan Skelly with Paul Drugman to the left and a middle-aged Superblian to the right. And as we are all aware, Skelly announced in the video feed, Dr. Drugman's article for the New York Times entitled, Is This Prosperity?, has quickly become the talk around the world today. To discuss Dr. Drugman's piece, the author himself, Paul Drugman, and a superblian by the name of Gorsan, Gorsan, uh, please let me know if I am pronouncing that right. The superblian nodded and affirmed, Gorsan. Thank you, contributed the anchor. Gorsan. Our superblian guest disagrees with the article. Why, after a year of record growth and improvement, did you write this article warning us that bad days may be ahead, Dr. Drugman? Well, first off, began Drugman, leaning forward and straightening his tie, I want to be clear that I have full deference to my guest and all superblians, as all humans on this planet should. My piece in no way discounts the astonishing contributions our new friends have given us this last year. Gorsan, I want to say your wonderful society has taught us all incredible lessons, and we will forever be in your debt. Thank you, replied Gorsan with a polite nod. So, just to be clear, interjected Drogman while clearing his throat, I was only writing as an economist who observes patterns in the economy. One such pattern economists see is, is that every recession on record is uh, accompanied by increases in personal savings and reductions in spending habits. You know, maybe we can't afford that vacation to Maui after all. 
Sure, that all seems harmless, but cuts in discretionary spending for frills leads to unemployment in those sectors, which leads to cuts in other areas. It's kind of like a snowball effect. I'm just saying that I've been looking at charts of savings rates in first and second world countries around the world, and the trend has been skyrocketing. Now, we might think that's a good thing because we're more prosperous and we have more money to spend and our dollars and other currencies are going much further. But if our aggregate savings don't come with uh, proportionate increases in aggregate spending, my thought is we could be on the verge of the biggest economic downturn in uh, world history. Skelly winced a bit. Uh, attempting to collect her cool, she turned to face the alien. Now, Gorsan, our superblian guest, thinks this morning's article misses the mark. Gorsan, sir, as a superblian, you obviously have a stake in this. Why do you disagree with Drugman's conclusions? First, declared the seasoned alien, I recognize the article intends no animosity nor disrespect to my people. No offense taken. The article is about theory and ideas, nothing else. As we have learned about the economic theories of Earth, I must confess that this one seems most bizarre. Yet many humans regard it highly. We superblians have experienced only consistent growth and improvement on our planet. We don't fear that being stewards of our resources can lead to fewer resources. If overspending makes resources scarce, it makes no sense to us that the solution is even more spending. How can spending A deplete resources while spending B adds resources? Dr. Words and the audience in the convention room applauded. Brilliant! shouted Tom. The anchor woman replied, Thank you, Gorsan, our superbliant guest. Those are some interesting thoughts. So, Dr. Drugman, what do you think? If the superblians who generously gave us some of their technology don't experience the kind of depression your theory expresses in the article, why should we believe your warning? Aren't we just experiencing sustainable growth even with those extra savings? Drugman sedated his unease, collected his nerve, and quipped, <clears throat> well, I, I would like to say that I'm not going to argue with my colleague here over his own experience back home. It may very well be that Superbly is immune to the economic slumps we observe on Earth. Since they're obviously smarter than we are, perhaps they just so happen to do the right thing at the right time naturally to ward off any threat of a recession. I fully respect our friends here for it. The unfortunate reality is uh, that we humans are not immune to destructive herd mentalities. We do need various forms of stimulus when we pull back our spending. I am merely suggesting the same solutions we have always applied in recent history when we are faced with the same problems we have seen before, namely an alarming rate of global savings that can indicate a global recession. I wish to point out, interjected Gorson, Dr. Drugman's theory doesn't distinguish between savings due to increased efficiency and savings as a response to prior inefficiency. How are they the same? How would you know economic growth if savings could never rise? The way I understand, as an economy grows, efficiency increases savings. This is a sign that life is now better. That's how Superblia was able to develop much of its technology. 
efficiency. Efficiency means savings. Savings mean investment. Investment means more efficiency. That's the only cycle we know. From what I observe, your government creates problems by inefficiency, then thinks more inefficiency will correct the problems from the prior inefficiency. In every direction, Jake witnessed an eruption of cheers. Jake soon convinced his introverted self to join in the cheers. Ms. Skelly, wide-eyed at the exchange she was now responsible for moderating, shifted her glare to the popular economist. Dr. Drugman, I really want to focus on the point Gorson just brought up. He claims his planet has never experienced the kinds of booms and busts we've experienced on Earth, and what you're warning us about in this article. Why do you think, with the Superblians living among us and indirectly influencing our economy, that we haven't found our permanent prosperity, an endless boom, if you will? Like I said earlier, lectured the professional idealist, I am not about to discount the claims of our friend here. The economic rules we humans experience may very well not apply to the Superblians. That's wonderful, but we humans obviously still exist. And although we have certainly benefited from our mutual activities with the Superblians, we aren't in any way less human than when we started. Uh, we can't wish away those economic rules. We can only live with them. And if our extraterrestrial friends really want to integrate with our economy without uh, controlling us, as they have promised, then I am just humbly suggesting that we all need to learn about those rules and live together under them. There are certain activities like decreased aggregate demand that, quite frankly, could lead to some pretty hefty downward spirals, and fiscal and monetary stimulus we have found are often needed to counterbalance the effects. It was fiscal and monetary stimulus that got us out of the housing slump. It was the same thing that tided us over to get us out of the pandemic. I am merely suggesting, as somebody who studies trends and proposes solutions, that the signs are pointing that direction again. Utterances of boo and no filled the conference room. Dr. Words facepalmed and muttered, Paul, what are you doing to us, man? As if eyes could not hold wider, the interviewer proved the world wrong. She turned to the superblian and squeaked out, Huh, Gorsum, your thoughts, sir? The alien, as the calmest visible participant in the event, replied, Miss Skelly, I continue to hold the position I uttered earlier. Nothing the professor has said convinces me otherwise. It is true that we have promised to integrate and cooperate, never to interfere or control. We commit to living among humans and sharing our blessings in charity and enterprise. With our ideas, we offer them only as opinion and nothing else. And my opinion is that human and superblian alike are best suited if we avoid the proposals the professor has made. All right, you heard it here began the anchor to conclude the panel. Tom pressed a button on his phone to cut the stream. The conference room walls echoed once again with chatter about the gripping video. Well, barked Tom, things like this tempt me to march right over to my friend Bob Nerfy and restart our Contra Drugman podcast together again.
Tom apologized that his flight could not accommodate earth-shattering events and granted his audience a good evening. More than ever, Jake wished Pete could have been there to hear the other side, one that seemed to make much more sense to Jake. Having arrived back home late that evening, Jake prepared to encounter Pete the next morning and share a video of the epic speech he heard. Unfortunately for Jake, Pete dismissed all remarks. Pete dug his heels even deeper into his cause after joining a group of farmers to protest with them. In fact, for Pete, so-called fiscal stimulus was just what the doctor ordered. Dr. Drugman, that is. It could subsidize the lack of aggregate demand for farming until enough farmers could find suitable employment. Government make-work jobs for farmers could be the bridge until the industry recovered due to technological improvements. After all, justice hung in the balance. But it wasn't simply justice. It was a solution to bring the country toward full employment, which, after all, meant a healthy economy. A week after the Drugman article began to stir household conversations across the world, self-proclaimed Democratic Socialist Senator Bernie Slanders proposed a $10 trillion tax bill, arguing that our society can no longer bear the burden of this level of inequality. Although we are grateful to our alien friends for what they have given us, we hope they recognize that all human beings deserve fair and equal treatment. But inequality in this country is higher than it has ever been in history, much higher. The 1% now has more wealth than ever, and they are exploiting the poorest Americans. They are squandering a growing economy for themselves at the expense of the poor and middle class. We now have a class of trillionaires in this country, while the poorest Americans only have one house and aren't getting ahead. What good is free food when that's all you have? Sure, you can live. But what kind of life is it when trillionaires take everything else away from you? Therefore, I propose a progressive wealth tax at a modest 50% of all wealth saved after applicable taxes on income and corporate earnings. Never before have the billionaires and trillionaires been able to afford such a tax, and never before could such a tax go a long way to ending inequality in America. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez introduced a similar bill in the House of Representatives. Both the House and the Senate hotly debated the merits of their own versions of the bill. The self-proclaimed conservatives in each House expressed their outrage at such highway robbery. They put their foot down and demanded that the bill confiscate no more than 40% and increased to 50% gradually over 10 years. They also fought tooth and nail to slash the bill down to a modest $8 trillion and include pork barrel spending for the Pentagon. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McCronicle offered the compromise version of the bill at $9 trillion, with a wealth tax at 45% to be phased into 50% over five years. 
the plucky legislators finally passed the bill into law after deliberating over it for a grueling three days. Senator Slanders lamented, Although I am obviously disappointed that the fat cats tried to neuter and slash the bill of its intentions and effects, I am nevertheless content that we have reached a viable agreement. Despite setbacks, this bill is a triumph for progress. A month after the bill became law as the Fairness Tax Act, it didn't alleviate the bad vibes many humans were garnering toward the cooperative superblian race. The tax bill promoted the spectacle of punishing evil rich humans and superblians alike. However, since the aliens were uniquely smarter and stronger than the humans, free enterprise had led them naturally to be top earners. The aliens found themselves perpetually on Santa's naughty list. The bill also included a raise in the minimum wage to $30 an hour, available to any state and subsidized by the federal government. Each state had to cooperate by enforcing the federal wealth tax to collect the minimum wage funding, of course. Although the Superblians were smart, they were no experts of human sentiment. They continued to be shocked, amazed, and confused as resentment toward them increased while they were also paying higher taxes. They were also responsible for the greatest acts of voluntary charity that would save the lives of millions of humans around the world. Yet, strangely enough, the fact that the Superblians earned or possessed more wealth than most humans could only earn them the stigma of greedy capitalists. Many Superblians, ever earnest to maintain human favor, decided to transfer ownership of some of their enterprises to human leaders and labor more closely with humans in lower-skilled jobs. Strangely, humans were shifting their praise toward the minimum-wage jobs as the backbone of society, yet the employers who made those jobs available could only earn disdain. Why should we offer our highest skills and labor in exchange for animosity, they thought. Since the humans value these lower-earning jobs, they may value us more if we contribute our services there. Initially, the public did cheer the move of many superblians to the honorable minimum wage sector. According to Senator Slanders himself, our superblian friends are starting to see the light. They have much to offer Earth by working among us, not over us. For the hapless superblians, the new social merit proved to be short-lived. What do you think happens when a bunch of aliens who are taller, smarter, and stronger than humans pour into the low-skilled jobs? Well, just like any job, those who excel tend to get preferential treatment. After all, output depends on input. The well-intentioned maneuver only led to further backlash. Superblian influx into minimum wage jobs made fewer of these jobs available to humans who needed them. Joining the farmers and other groups priced out of their steady labor, workers' unions took to the streets with pickets and signs. Jobs for humans, shouted the flustered protesters. Traitors! 
bore some signs directed toward human employers who preferred to hire alien workers. Where's your humanity? Many shouted outside the doors of corporate headquarters. Others more mildly expressed that justice and equality meant giving humans and superbians the same opportunity for jobs regardless of their capabilities. But what business wanting to be productive would purposefully undercut their own productivity by an estimated 90% to hire a human over a superbian? I mean, you might as well hire a chihuahua and call it charity. Some of the bolder voices on the streets decried corporate fascism for the inequalities. Some wealthy superbians tried to restore positive human opinion by announcing generous voluntary donations to health care and disaster relief organizations. But the lobbyists and protesters weren't interested in voluntary anything. Income mattered. Position mattered. The superbians still held proportionately better jobs. Wealth mattered. Perhaps some wealth could be excused if the superbians voiced their commitment to political causes of equality at all costs. But how could the superbians pretend to support causes they believe were flawed and destructive? Protests progressed to vandalism and riots. Superbians tried to explain what they believed to be true, but many human minds were simply not open. Perception-guided interpretation. Reasoned discussion was an excuse to cover up oppression and inequality. Only Jake and the grassroots cadre of freedom lovers seemed to see through the fog of hostility. What could the disenfranchised superbians do? Now, nearly a year after an article in the New Dork Times stemmed the tide of public opinion, the aliens found themselves unable to overcome an awful caricature. Zorg was a fearless but beloved leader and wise father figure to the alien sample on Earth. He arranged a holographic meeting with his kin to determine the fate of their accommodations on Earth. The next day, July 25th to be exact, Zorg met with the United Nations. He grieved that his race improved the earth but missed the mark for the human heart. Each president, prime minister, and king unanimously agreed to grant the superblians a peaceful exit from the planet. Each verbally expressed their sorrow that their blue friends felt unwelcome. Yet, in the depths of their heart, they eagerly seemed to await the event like scavengers circling dead flesh. One week was enough time for the superblian population to gather everything they deemed their property. Yet, they generously gave up more than a reasonable share. Many humans callously accepted the charity as if the wealth of the superblians demanded that they give it. Back to the site of the original sighting, in that open field in rural Kansas, stood Jake to wish his new friends goodbye. Zorg announced their departure as such. My friends on Earth, our experiment comes to an end. By all our studies, we believe this planet could be our second home. We saw all our lives together improve. These two years around your sun have shown us ups and downs. We wish we understood where we went wrong. Perhaps our God intended we live on separate planets. 
We wish only for your prosperity, as we covet your well wishes to us. And with that, we bid you farewell. Jake whimpered as he hugged his friend Caro one last time. Glaring at the spectacle, Pete stood several yards away. Brushing a tear from his eye, the opinionated rancher friend convinced himself that separation would ultimately be best for both sides. The crowd of tens of thousands watched their close encounter of the fourth kind disappear into the sky. For the size of the gathered humans gracing the scene, one could almost hear a pin fall into the grass for the next five minutes. The last two years now felt like a dream as the inhabitants of Earth stumbled like mindless sheep trying to figure out what normal would now be. All prepared their hearts for change, and change there was. Firms, once under guidance from wise superblians, went bankrupt. Shrewd investors bought them for pennies on the dollar, but their operations and profitability were never quite the same. Even the smartest humans could not fill the knowledge gap for how to run the technology and miracle cures the aliens introduced. Once the marvelous devices broke, no repair service could renew them. Governments around the world demanded citizens turn over their working extraterrestrial remnants, lest their loyalties change, of course. Living standards slowly tapered back to the levels they were two years ago. Because the Superblians were no longer around as a high tax base, governments reluctantly and gradually scaled back the wealth tax and redistribution levels. The silver lining seemed to be that farming and other professions, once quickly obsolete, began to make a comeback. Food prices soared as people now needed time and money to produce crops again. Most humans tried to ease their consciences over the turn of events. The economy now faced a recession, contrary to Dr. Drugman's thoughts. But greater equality, more aggregate demand, and higher employment convinced less informed citizens they needed to recognize the illusion for what it was. Now, as we count our story's progress in years, we shift forward yet again one more year. We now arrive at an ordinary day, one year since the Superblians bid their farewell. Jake rolled up his sleeves for an ordinary day of ordinary work on his ordinary ranch. Before the sweat began as Jake bent down to tend some hay, he witnessed a shadow on the grass coming from his right. He lifted his eyes to see a familiar face, wide-eyed as once before. Why, Pete! Our protagonist gasped as he positioned himself erect. What's up? Pete stood as if he had seen a UFO before it was normal. His pupils dilated unnaturally. Whoa, Pete, are you okay? What's got your gander? Pete fidgeted his fingers because words failed him. After ten seconds, he managed to crack through. The raspy words sounded something like this. Uh, Jake, did, did, uh, did we just make a huge mistake?
And that, my friends, is the end of the tale of the Superblians. And I hope that you enjoyed the story. I hope you enjoyed the ups and downs of it. And although the ending of it was a bit unsettling, there's a reason for that. The story is intended to make us think about what prosperity is and what the cause of prosperity is and how policies can ultimately roll back prosperity. And when people think that some form of political cause, such as an engineered equality and somehow justice demands redistribution, and that those who seem to benefit from the contributions they made do so unjustly, even if we all benefit from the contributions they made. Life on earth increased by leaps and bounds, but as the tide stemmed over, based on ideas of Keynesianism and then socialism, animosity growed toward the Superblians, and that somehow, no matter what the Superblians tried to do, merely because they were just plain better than the humans, the humans seemed to think it was unjust, and ultimately they led the aliens off of Earth. The aliens had to leave to maintain peaceful relations with the humans, and of course, with the Superblians, gradually went all that prosperity that they brought to Earth. And so I also hope that you see how freedom brings friendship. And it doesn't matter how prosperous one is compared to another. Relative prosperity is not what matters. And yes, it is moral to get rid of world hunger. You know, it's moral to preserve life. If you value life according to the Bible, if you spare life, That's a good thing. And so the capitalism that the Superblians introduced and their technology that ended world hunger was a good thing. But of course, those who wanted equality of outcome were not satisfied when the poorest people in the world were so much better off because all they had was one nice house that they were able to pay with cash, while the richest 1%, mostly of Superblians, uh, had a lot more. Wealth and it's the difference in wealth that seems to matter, not how much the top improves the lower. And now I also want to ask this important question. I know that the tale was meant to be a little bit absurd, you know, we're not expecting aliens to invade. anytime soon. But if you compare the Superblians with the best, the most gifted, the brightest, the strongest humans that we already have on earth, what really is the difference other than degree? If really good humans do things that contribute to the value in society with their output, their labor, their smarts, their athletic skills, what have you, They don't have to be aliens. They can be human beings. But if we benefit from what they do, why should it matter to us how wealthy they become from the skills with which God has blessed them? We might think it's unfair and unjust. Well, is it really unjust when they've improved your life? When they've given you beautiful art or beautiful music or incredible athletic prowess 
or an incredible intellect to invent things that improve our lives? Why do we consider it an injustice if somehow they get proportionately benefited from what they offer to us if we benefit ourselves? Are they stealing from us? Without them, we wouldn't have those benefits. And so if someone, by honest means, as I've said before, becomes wealthy by inventing or creating a business that proves to be something that people need or want, and there's a mutual free exchange there. The one with the many. Lots of people buy the products and services, they get benefited, and the one who started the business benefits immensely from the profits from these mutual exchanges, where is the injustice? And that's what this story is meant to show, that humans at large fought against and wished away the prosperity that they were given, basically for free. They just had to trade for it on the market, and it benefited them immensely. But that's not enough for some people. They want to see everyone equal in regards to outcome, equal in wealth ownership. But when you try to do that, you end up with more poverty. No innovation that improves the lives of people comes from coercive equality of outcome. And I hope that you're entertained by the tale of the Superblians and that the story made you think as absurdly fictional as it was. And now stay tuned to the next episode as we discuss biblical lessons from the tale of the Superblians. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 